0: Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't, the conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and today we are joined with Natalie Vecchione, who is a homeschool mom of two who built her family through adoption. Her son, who is almost 19, lives with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. He's graduated from homeschool, and he's working part-time as a carpentry apprentice. Their typically developing daughter is almost six and has a much different adoption journey with her, and they're very close with her birth mom. Natalie has been a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder podcaster for a year. In October 2020, her husband and I... Her husband (laughs) co-founded Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Hope, FASD Hope, is a podcast, website, and a place for awareness, information, and inspiration for those people whose lives have been touched by an FASD. The FASD Hope podcast series is through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope podcast is available anywhere you find podcasts. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Samantha. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giggling with me as I read your bio, <laughs> as if it was my own. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, you
1: started it with my husband? That's so cool.
0: <laughs> I have many, many talents.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: So tell us about yourself, about your journey.
1: Sure thing. So my name is Natalie and um, I am, like you said, I'm a homeschool mom of, of two. Uh, our son graduated last year and he's a part-time carpentry apprentice. And our daughter just finished homeschool kindergarten, and uh, she, um, it's going to be a really cool homeschool journey with her. Um, we've been homeschoolers for over seven years, seven and a half years. And we started homeschooling our son uh, as an accommodation, which um, at the time we did not have an official diagnosis, but it was an accommodation for his FASD, his fetal alcohol spectrum disorder diagnosis. Um, my husband and I met in college. Um, I had um when I started, when I was 16, I started having really severe symptoms of endometriosis. And when my husband and I started dating, it was right after my first surgery where I learned I had endo. And uh I was told by the surgeon, there's a really good chance you're not going to be able to. To conceive or carry you know to term because your endometriosis is that bad and i was 21 at the time um, and this was in the early 90s you know so uh i when i met my husband i told him that and he, I, I knew he was meant to be for me because he said well i don't love you because you can get pregnant i love you because of you and if you can't get pregnant then we'll we'll figure out a way So um, fast forward, we got married, we moved to Miami to go to grad school. Uh, We started trying to get pregnant Um, at the time we tried in vitro, which was again in the mid nineties was very expensive and not covered by insurance. And it was really like, it was a really big ordeal. And as we were trying to conceive, I was getting sicker and sicker uh, with my endometriosis. I lost one ovary, another ovary was, was being, um, infiltrated for lack of better words of, you know, from the endometriosis. So, um, after our last attempt in 1998, uh, we, which failed, we stopped. And, you know, my husband was like, this, this is enough. You're getting sicker. And I really want you to have a better quality of life. So he took a new job and we moved to Philly. And, um, in 1999, I had a total abdominal hysterectomy, which was very difficult, um, you know, it, you you lose a lot of yourself um in, in that process. However, I'm I'm very thankful and I'm I'm blessed that I went through it because uh what it gave me was a quality of life. You know, it, it's not a cure. There's no cure for endo, it's just like cancer. Um, but because it was a total abdominal hysterectomy and and you know, as much of the remaining ovary was taken out as possible, I, I was able to have um, I started slowly getting physically better, and I realized I needed that to be a mom. I did I, I couldn't be sick and and be a mom as sick as I used to be. So, um, you know, gradually just started getting healthy and 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 you know just um, taking steps forward. And in um, in two thousand, my husband and I started pursuing domestic adoption, um, domestic infant adoption, and uh, you know we we found an agency and we did all of our Paperwork and the home study. It takes about six months to a year to complete the whole process. It's a pretty lengthy process, and um, then September 11th happened, and basically our agency and, and many other agencies said, "said you know we're we're not receiving placements. You know, birth moms are are you know choosing to keep keep their you know children, and which is a good thing. You know, ultimately in adoption, we really want to respect that." Birth mom making the decision, you know, um, of, of parenting, you know, uh, her child. And so the adoption agency said, well, what, you know, what you can do is try to find some other agencies, you know, get your name on several agencies' wait lists. So we did that. And 2002 came along and uh, we were uh, placed on another agency's wait list. And unbeknownst to us at the time that we were actually finishing our paperwork for the second agency. Our son was 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 born um on the very day uh and which also happens to be my husband's birthday. Uh so he was born, he was an emergency C-section. He had a lot of medical issues uh at birth, which we later found out were related to the FASD, um, which is a very common thing. Uh, in infants, you see a lot of the medical issues and sensory issues. And then as children, you know, get older that have an FASD, then you see more of the social developmental, you know, kinds of issues. So he was born, he was, he was early, he needed to stay in the NICU at the hospital. And then, uh, then he was transferred to the pediatric unit where they continued to monitor him. Um, So uh, about Five days before he was ready to be released, we received the phone call, you know, and um, I I was home alone and uh, the agency said, you know, um, a birth mom has chosen you and your husband. And of course, I just started crying. I was a big, big ball of mess. And uh, they said, we're um, it's a boy. And I was just like, you know, I was just like, yeah, because, you know, in my mind, when I when I was growing up, I always pictured having a boy and a girl and having a boy first. And, and it just, you know, something that I think God put in my heart, you know? So um, they said, you know, he's, he's got medical issues and they, they told us, but again, there was no con there was no confirmed, you know, alcohol exposure, although it was written that there were some s- suspected behaviors is what they called it um, from, from the birth mother. So, you know, we, we, accepted, you know, and we, we knew that that was, he was meant to be our son, especially since he was born on my husband's birthday. We just, we felt like that was God saying, this is your son. So it was an amazing journey because we, um, there were so many medical issues that we were, you know, dealing with along with having this new little baby. And, you know, we, we were first time parents. So it really, it just was like a tornado, you know, the, those first, um, really those first few months, you know, um, he had specialist appointments and then, you know, I I decided to stop working full-time and I just worked part-time. And, and even then I worked like just really, you know, hours around where he, he wouldn't have to go into childcare, you know? Um, And as he, you know, got closer to his first birthday um, we saw more of the medical issues become more, you know, prominent. And um, my husband and I, we would, we were living in Philadelphia at the time and we went to, um, you know, we went to some, many specialists and we would ask, you know, could there be an underlying cause? You know, we're seeing a lot of different things popping up and they all said no, which, you know, when I look back, you know, as a, as a parent advocate, I realized that they were misguided. No, it, it it was all connected to the alcohol exposure. So as he grew, um, as he grew older, uh, especially in his toddler years. And just before his second birthday, we started seeing a lot of uh, regression. So we started seeing, um, you know, like he was becoming insecure in his attachments. He was having a lot of sleep difficulty. Like he couldn't sleep a full night, you know, or, or he could sleep maybe a few hours here, a few hours there. And then we also noticed a lot of sensory issues popping up where he became very um, sensory avoidant, um in certain things and then sensory seeking in other things. Like he was a runner. He was one of those kids that if you sat in a you know room, he he just circled the room, which I later found out that that's, he was seeking vestibular input. He was, that was grounding for him, you know, and a lot of parents who have kids on, on the autism spectrum, you know, their kids have similar behaviors or our son also like to push heavy things and, and that's proprioceptive and, and that's the sense of feeling grounded. And again, kids on the spectrum, on the FASD spectrum, you know, ADHD, they, that is a very common um, sensory trait to have. So that summer, just before his second birthday, we went for a sleep study and, um, which is saying, you know, you're having a toddler sleep study is it's an oxymoron because there's no sleep and you really don't learn much. (laughs) But, uh, so we came in for the after appointment and it was my husband and I, and quite a few, um, medical students were in the room with the neurologist um, and we had our son sitting on our lap and the, it was a different hospital than, than the one we normally went to. And the pediatric neurologist came in and he looked at our son, just, just looked at him up and down. And he turned to the medical students and he said, look at that child. He's been exposed to alcohol. And let me tell you why he's been prenatally exposed to alcohol. And let me tell you why his, his exact words were, he has quote, Mild fetal alcohol effects, quote, which there are no, that that's another oxymoron. No alcohol, fetal alcohol, there's no such thing as mild effects. It, it affects differently, and, and some people may have symptoms more prominently than others, but there's no such thing as mild fetal alcohol effects. It's fetal alcohol exposure. So, uh, you know, this was the first time verbally we heard these words said, And of course we were like, okay, what do we do? How do, you know, where do we seek treatment? What do we do? And he very, you know, flippantly just said, Oh, we'll just put him in an early intervention and he'll he'll be okay. Which when, when you get a diagnosis, when your child has a diagnosis of having a developmental disability, they don't outgrow it. There's no outgrow it. It's lifelong. So again, looking back at that, it took us, 13 years after that appointment to officially get an FASD diagnosis because our son accumulated a bunch of other acronym, you know, alphabet soup letter diagnoses. He, ADHD, um, auditory processing disorder, visual processing disorder, sensory processing disorder, all dysgraphia, all of these diagnoses. And, um, so he was in early intervention and then he was out of early intervention and we put him in private school and then public school. And the whole time as he was growing up, we prior to homeschooling, we, we would just tell everybody whether it was a medical specialist or an educational specialist or, or a therapist. Look, somebody told us, you know, when he would just before he was two that they think he had fetal alcohol exposure. Could this be related to it? And the answer was always no. No. And you know, I, I just I think back, you know, and I th- that's like kind of one of the many things that sparked my advocacy as a parent to educate people about this because there are so there's there's so many kids that have been prenatally exposed to alcohol, whether it be, you know, in the adoption, you know, whether it be they were adopted. Or in foster care, which we know is significantly higher, um, kids in foster care—the the statistics are 80% of kids in foster care have been prenatally exposed to alcohol, and that's a huge statistic. But many children have been exposed because, you know, they're—you know—say mom and dad are married, they're trying to get pregnant they don't realize they're pregnant. You know, mom has a couple of glasses of wine and then, you know, six weeks later, you know, gets the positive pregnancy test and, oh my goodness, you know, tells the doctor and the doctor's like, oh no, they're fine. You know, or, or, you know, you stop drinking now. So things should be okay. And we really want to bring awareness to this, that, you know, it it can happen to anybody, to any family, whether, you know, a birth family, you know, you're, you're, traditional family or a family created through adoption or foster care. Um, so our son didn't receive his official diagnosis until he was 15 and he had been hospitalized um, for, um, for, for suicidal thoughts and ideations and, and uh, you know trying to carry out his plan. And um, he, at the time, what originally was thought of as depression, Uh, which we later learned that um, he had a, um, he had bipolar disorder and that was congruent with his FASD diagnosis. And we finally had found, this was when we moved to North Carolina, we finally found um, a specialist who was willing to say, I hear you. And yes, I I also suspect he has an FASD. So when he was hospitalized um, that really, really broke me as a mom, you know, because, um, you know, he had, we had been homeschooling um, a few years prior to that and he hadn't been away from me, you know, and we also had in in this journey to adopted our, our daughter um, who's typically developing. And, and we have a much, di- we have a very different adoption journey story with her than we do with our sons. So, you know, we've got like 50, chainsaws we're trying to juggle in the air literally and um well not literally but we're trying to just you know manage and we get the diagnosis yes he does have a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in fact he w- he was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome which is the the most significant of them because he had actually met the criteria for all of it um and um that diagnosis it, it broke me but then and i grieved because i knew that I knew that there were just going to be a lot of things in his life that he weren't, he was not going to be able to experience. And then it really just kind of lit this fire in me to say, okay, I don't want anybody else to have to go through what we went through, you know, the, the years of this, you know, not just a year or two years, but 15 years to finally get a diagnosis. And um, so I, we started tr- getting some training and some education, you know, we, we belong to a wonderful support group, um, of parents of other kids that had FASD that under they understood it, you know, and, and I highly recommend if you're listening out there, um, support groups, parent support groups are great because you're in a room or, or in a zoom with people who genuinely understand your journey, you know, um, especially when it comes to having a child with a brain-based diagnosis. So training, I took something really, I felt was really important. I I became certified in mental health first aid, which is a wonderful program. And I highly recommend it. You know, if you're parenting a child that, um, you know, either has a diagnosis or has, um, you know, symptoms or comes from a hard place, um, mental health first aid is, is, was a great Eye opener for me about just, okay, what is, you know, when do we need to call the doctor or what is, okay, you know, just email or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then I took um, training in neurobehavioral. Um, it's called facets, F A S C E T S dot org. And it's basically like the gold standard training for learning how to parent and, and care for um, an individual that has an FASD or another brain based diagnosis. Um, because I learned that FASD, what we were seeing and what we thought were behaviors were actually symptoms from his brain. And and that's something huge I want to communicate to to your listeners is that a lot of times in kids that have any type of brain-based diagnosis, so autism, ADHD, FASD, when there's a brain difference, or when, like in the instance of fetal alcohol, there's brain damage from the alcohol. What you're seeing, if a kid is lashing out or having a rage or having something, you're seeing a symptom of something. It's like a red flag. You know, it's not. Oh, well, I'm just. You know, I'm mad, so I'm just going to go. You know, go off on somebody today. It's it's actually a um, symptom from the brain, and when um, I took that training. And when I just learned and really tried to immerse myself in, in learning that, it was really an aha moment for me. Um, and, and that, again, helped spark this, this advocacy you know, in me. So um, fast forward to, to today, um, our son, we homeschooled him for seven and a half years. He finished homeschool last year he's apprenticing part-time as a carpentry apprentice. He loves it. Um, it's part-time. Um, we would love for him to find, you know, like a five day a week type of job. Um, unfortunately it's, it's challenging with, um, you know, he's going to be 19 soon with a young adult and a young adult with an FASD because they require a lot of supervision and structure. Um, and he has that through his apprenticeship. Um, you know, his, he, it's one-on-one. It's kind of like, you know, hundreds of years ago, he, he goes to his apprentice teacher and they, you know, they work on something and he, you know, he teaches them something. It's, you know, it's really an old fashioned apprenticeship. So, um, he's actually in life coaching, you know, uh, our son is in life coaching to, uh, help him find supportive, um, employment, supportive, you know, communities, s- supportive things. Another thing we did was, uh, four years ago, we moved um, from a suburb um, to uh, we live out in the middle of a farm country in rural North Carolina. Uh, We have a, a main farmhouse, which is ours. And then our son lives in an attached apartment above our garage, which is great because he has interdependence. So, you know, he, he, closes the door when he wants privacy, you know, and everything. But then if he's hungry and, you know, he wants something, he comes down to the kitchen and it's great. And we also have um, uh, like a little under four acres. We have a detached workshop that's fully functioning. And um, we also have an attached workshop. And what um, the plan is, you know, right now it could change, but our plan is in the next year to, to convert that workshop into a tiny house for him. So that he has even more interdependence. Um, I want
0: to, I think my audience, and and this is an extremely important topic. I want to go to the homeschooling part because a lot of people, there's a stereotype that it's not as quality of an education, you know, and I've dealt with homeschooling with clients Mm -hmm. or anxiety or Mm -hmm. any multiple types of issues. So I know there are people listening and I want to hear the benefits because it sounds like you'll be doing homeschooling with your daughter.
1: Oh, we are. Yes. We're, we're, we're homeschoolers. Yes. And thank you, Samantha. I'm glad you brought that up. So we homeschooled as an accommodation and many families choose homeschooling, um, especially now, you know, they choose homeschooling because a lot of their kids needs either are not being met in a regular school setting and again i am not bashing regular school at all this this is just a perspective of a of a parent um you know our son's 504 iep things weren't happening you know um and a lot of families are like you know it's a it's a huge sacrifice you know you're sacrificing an income you know you're sacrificing a lot you're sacrificing your time you're sacrificing a lot But for me, it's an investment because if you first, you need to make sure that you can uh, um, you can homeschool according to your state's laws. Every state homeschooling is legal in every state and in every province in Canada and many countries. Um, You just have to make sure you can abide by the laws. And many states are um, like, for example, North Carolina is very homeschool friendly. You know, Um, they keep track of your homeschool. You know, you do things Um, so homeschooling really is you taking ownership of your child's education. And um, people think, oh, I have to be a teacher to be a homeschooler. You don't, you know, you know your child best. And there are, you know, if you want to choose a curriculum, you can do that. For For our son, you know, he basically maxed out at a certain reading and, and math level. However, you know, we're so thankful that he discovered, he went to a carpentry camp and discovered that he's an amazing carpentry student. So the last two years of his homeschooling were shifted on that. You know, it was basically like tech school for him. Um, so I love homeschooling. Because- his sleep issues.
0: So, I mean, there are millions of people who exactly. struggle in the mornings in traditional school. So oh, exactly, teacher has 30 plus students. Yep. So it, you know, your children, everybody listening, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a diagnosis. If your kids aren't doing well in a traditional environment and they aren't accommodating your needs, you can create it at home. So if he didn't start school until noon because he couldn't
1: sleep, Mm -hmm. that doesn't count against him. You took the words right out of my mouth, Samantha. And and that was one, again, one of the many reasons, or if your child has medical issues and, and goes to different appointments, you can school around that, you know? Um, our our daughter has childhood absence epilepsy, which is considered, used to be called petite mal seizures. And so, you know, sometimes if she does have, you know, a, a, a seizure, she'll be tired the next day or, or the rest of the day. So we can accommodate, you know, that's a huge, homeschooling is a huge accommodation. Another great thing about homeschooling is that they don't have to be the same grade level in all the subjects. Our son like in addition to carpentry, he is a computer whiz. Like and and we see this with a lot of kids on the spectrum too. You know that maybe they they struggle with, you know, reading or math, but they can do like computer coding or they can do something that's just a really a superpower for them. Homeschooling allows you to focus on the strengths of your child and I love that. And so many parents are really embracing that because especially since covid, since we look at covid and we look at okay, how is the world changing, you know? And virtual school at home is much different than homeschooling, you know? And and homeschooling during covid is much different than homeschooling before covid. You know, we used to go to co-ops and classes and activities and field trips and everything. And and if you're afraid to homeschool, I would say, don't be. Don't well, be. I want to go
0: back to what I was going to bring this up because again, Sorry.
1: every state is different. But my experience yeah.
0: was in Michigan before I moved to Colorado. Yes. but there was a connection with the school district so yes. that there were opportunities for socialization. Yes. So yes. I don't want people thinking that you're stuck at home and you never get to meet anyone until you're nope. 18 years old.
1: <laughs> nope. You, many homeschools will, uh, are. excuse me, Many districts will allow homeschoolers to participate in their sports. You just have to check with your district. Um, there's laws being passed so that you know homeschoolers can you know be on the same team. I know of quite a few homeschoolers that you know whose kids have been on you know their their district's baseball team or their district's football team. Um, in addition, many homeschool communities have grown so that. Um, you know, they themselves have like leagues or they themselves have sports or things like that. Um, Or a friend of mine, you know, Uh, his son is actually a professional Irish dancer. And so he like has the most amazing interactions and he has just this wonderful social base of friends, you know, and he's competitive. So a lot of people choose that, you know, to homeschool for that reason, too. If their child is really gifted in something and wants to pursue that, then you can do that. You can work school around their strength, you know? So no, it's not isolation, you know, Um, especially now I I see we've been homeschooling since 2014 and really in the past, like three to five years, there's been a boom, you know? Um, And I think it's great because um, as a parent, you know, your child better than anybody you know, and that's, that's one of, I learned that the hard way, you know, when I kept telling doctors and specialists, okay, could it be this? And they kept saying no. And I was like, but wait a minute, I know my kid, you know, he's not willfully, he, he's, he's, you know, he wants to please us, you know, he's not willfully like, you know, whatever. So, you know, your kid, you know, you know, your, your teen or young adult. Um, so I, you can, if you visit fasdhope.com, I, I do offer homeschool consulting, especially for kids that have um, FASD or other brain based diagnoses. Um, I'm about to release a um, book that I co authored with um, a very dear friend of mine who's also a homeschooler in Colorado, not too far from where you live. Her name is Cindy LaJoy. And our book is called Blazing New Homeschool Trails Educating and Launching Teens with developmental disabilities. And we both share our journeys as moms who adopted kids that have an FASD. Hers is much different than mine. She adopted internationally. You know, we adopted domestically. She is in Colorado. We're in North Carolina. Um, And what she did was really amazing. Her last year of homeschooling, she has five kids, three of whom have an FASD. She took her last year and kind of like the way that we and, and we, it, we share both of our stories in our books. We, my part is I talk about how we did homeschool trade school, you know, one-on-one with our son. So what she did with her kids who are now young adults is they created a business, a supportive business so that her kids could work and be supportive and, and, and feel have fulfillment and accomplishment. So I'm, if you're ever in Montrose, Colorado, visit Buckaroo's Slices and Scoops, or you can go online, buckaroo'smontrose.com. Cindy also founded Blue Collar Homeschool, um, which is an 11,000 plus member homeschool group on Facebook. And it's a website too, where you can go. And, you know, if your child is not, if you're homeschooling, but you feel like your child is not meant for post-homeschool academia, You know, there are so many options, you know? So what she did was she, she created, you know, through entrepreneurship, this thriving business and the amazing story about Cindy's business. um, I should say her family's business because it's run by her kids. Now she stepped back and it's run by her kids. Um, They opened five months before COVID and then COVID happened and they were like, oh my goodness, what do we do? as homeschoolers especially of kids who learn differently we think out of the box and those kids were like okay we'll just do delivery and we'll do takeout and they were voted the best pizza and ice cream place in their town in montrose and that's like I heard oh. about it
0: yeah. and I, I it's not it's not around the block so <laughs> i absolutely have heard of yep. it give us the book title again
1: so it's called blazing new homeschool trails uh educating and Educating and launching teens with developmental disabilities. So, and it will be released. We are looking, our release date is tentatively set for June 15th, and we'll, we're publishing through Amazon through KDP.
0: Well, we will. Uh, that's going to benefit so many. It's huge. And it's no different than if you go to a doctor and you have a stomach ache and they tell you nothing's wrong, but you know something is wrong, no matter what you're listening, if this hits home and you're thinking about your child, whether it's they're just not sleeping great or anxiety, it doesn't have to be a developmental disability, you know, your kids. So this is a great resource. FASDHope.com. I don't have all the information you do connect with Natalie and she can coach you through it. Um, any last words you'd like to leave the listeners with?
1: Well, first of all, again, Samantha, thank you for the opportunity for me to share my story and our family's journey and to increase awareness. Um, I just want to say that um, as parents, especially of kids um, who are viewed differently by the world, who interact differently than the world, whose brains work differently, um, the world sees our kids as what they can't do. You know, we often hear of your kid can't do this or your kid has needs or deficits in this area. I say, let's change the conversation and focus on what they can do. Because when you do that, you're, you're building, it's like you're depositing into their, you know, you're depositing words of hope into their heart. And for me, I'd rather do that and have the world say, well, they're doing something different. And I'd be like, you know what, this is best for my kid. And this is best for my family. And I do that with both my kids, you know? So instead of, instead of hearing all that white noise outside of, of what your kid can't do, change it and focus on what they can do. And when you do that, it's really a game changer.
0: I love that. That's so beautiful. So this, this is amazing. This is perfect. It meets the definition of what this show is about. These are the conversations we need to be having. People need to know that there are resources out there and you don't have to just listen to what you're told. So ruthlessly, always ruthlessly fight for your kids, fight for yourself, advocate. And again, to connect with Natalie, it's FASDhope.com. And until next time, thank you so much for listening and always be ruthless. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the Ruthless Movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hab community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week.